Hear the Word of God to you this morning. When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before Him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. Oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of the boy. And he was healed from that moment. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, Why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, Because you have so little faith. I tell you the truth. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. When they came together in Galilee, he said to them, The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill Him. And on the third day, He will be raised to life. And the disciples were filled with grief. Thus ends the reading of God's holy, inerrant word. May He bless it to our hearts and lives this morning. You may be seated. Now, I don't know about you, but I have been richly blessed in my Christian life. I've been blessed to have many intense refreshing, and faith-building experiences. Some of these experiences have come at a retreat when we're all gathered together to focus on the things of God and we get away from our everyday life and we could just worship and pray and talk about the things of God. Other times have been when I've gone to children's camp and I've ministered to the kids, children's camp, and uh, during those times have been very special times away from the normal uh, distractions from the world. And quite often for me, it's been when I've taken missions trips. When I go on missions trips, they're always special times. But what happens is, inevitably, the team that I'm with or the folks that I'm with, they usually ask this question, and I probably have asked it myself, so I'm not picking on anybody. But the question is, oh man, how do we make this last? Right? What we have here. How can I bring this back when I come home? And I remember, and even kids that come to our missions teams will say, hey, how could we take this home? Because normally what happens is you just, God shows up in a mighty way and they have these, these extraordinary experiences, experiences that encourage them to now, this is what you should be doing, keep doing it when you get home. And then in their mind, there's, well, how do I keep this on the roll? You know, instead of like I get back home and I got to go to school and I got to be a son, to my, you know, and listen to my parents or I got to go to work and go back to the daily grind. How do I keep this going? And so a lot of times, even Dave and I will get together and we'll try to give them some suggestions on how to keep it going. And then this text, which I've known for many, many years, but for some reason studying for this week, especially at this time in my life, just I had a big aha moment, a huge aha moment. And as you get older, you don't have as many of those. When you first come to know the Lord, everything you learn is brand. It's aha, like almost every minute. As soon as you open up the word, I never heard this. And it's aha, aha. Well, this is a good aha moment for me at this point in my life. Because when you think about the text, listen to this. You have Jesus doing something very special. We learned about it last week a little bit. Pete preached on it. Jesus takes Peter, James, and John. He goes up on a mountain. That's where we get the idea of mountaintop experiences, I guess. He goes up on a mountain. 
He brings these three disciples, and Moses and Elijah show up. I mean, we're talking about some really, this is a good retreat. You know what I'm saying? You got the, 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 the law and the prophets representing these two guys. And then the most incredible thing that happens is Jesus' appearance is like lightning. It's like whiter than sheets could be bleached. And he is transfigured before them, thus the transfiguration. And he's, it's a pre-taste of what he's going to look like in his glory. And so this is why I bring this up. So what does Peter say? Oh, because, you know, the, the guy always has to say something. Hey, it's good for us to be here. Let's set up three booths. Right? This is how Pete's thinking. Let's keep this, right? We want now this, this is what I've been waiting for. This is the moment. Let's just put a booth on Elijah, a booth on Moses, and a big booth on Jesus. And let's, like, you know, I just want to stay here. Now, in Luke's gospel, it gives us even a little more insight, and it says this. He said this because he didn't know what he was talking about. <laughs> I love that Luke says that. In other words, Pete had no clue what in the world he was talking about. He was just so overwhelmed by emotion, and, and he just wanted to stay there. But here's the interesting thing. They didn't stay there, did they? You remember Jesus? They were afraid. They fell down. Jesus touched them. And when they looked up, what happened? Jesus was ordinary again. He looked like an ordinary man. And they didn't stay there. Jesus did not keep them on the mountain for very long. And they had to go down. And what do they go down to? Sound familiar? When we come back from a mission trip, when we come back from retreat, they come to a mess, an absolute mess. And when there's the three synoptic gospels all talk about this event, so we get different information, not different, just added information. When you put all three of them together, you get a fuller, fully orbed picture of what's going on. And so here, you, what, what uh, Mark tells us, I believe, he's the fullest account, Mark tells us that you have the Pharisees arguing with the disciples about why they couldn't cast out this demon. So it's a mess. These, you, know, you get them arguing. You got this poor father who's like, look, I don't care about this theological argument. My son is in trouble and he's hurting and I just want him to be healed, right? And so you come down to this mess where there's a child who's demon-possessed, a father who, who's beside himself, right? We were just talking a little bit about it. Just imagine that father who has this child from, from when he was little who has been dominated by the devil. Horrible. And here you have the representatives of Jesus Christ who he called to go out and cast out demons. You remember earlier in Matthew, they had the power to cast out demons and they're scratching their head not knowing why they can't do it. So what I've seen from this text is when we ask such questions, how can we keep this going when we go back home? To ask those questions is not wise. Because the point is, they were never meant to last. You with me? On this side of glory, it's not about staying on a mountaintop. No, on this side of glory, it's very important for us to understand. This is the thing I want to show you from the text. The main point. Although our faith is encouraged occasionally on the mountain, it is to be exercised regularly in the valley. I'm going to say that again. Although our faith is encouraged occasionally on the mountain, it's to be exercised regularly in the valley. In other words, God gives us some refreshing times of bliss, 
But they are supposed to be the exception of the rule. The rule is we have been sent and we have been saved into this fallen, broken, hard place to be light in a dark place, to be salt in a decaying society, to be change agents through the gospel of Jesus Christ in the regular, everyday sorrow and mess of this life. And that's what we're going to see in this text very powerfully. Three things I'm going to point out. First one is very short. You'll be happy to know. Second one is about just as short. The last one we'll spend most of our time in. But the first thing we're going to see is the faithlessness of the disciples. Um, couldn't put that more succinctly to say little, so I just said faithlessness. But they, they, their faith was so little, it was littler than a mustard seed <laughs> at this point, right? So the faithlessness of the disciples. The second thing we'll see is the faithfulness of Jesus. Amen. And third of all, we'll see faith's possibilities when we do have faith. So let's take a look at the first one. The faithlessness of the disciples. Verses 14 to 16. I'll read them for you again. When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. You know, we look at this event and to be honest, maybe not the particular issue that was going on, the demon possession of the son. But we see this is life in just just another day in the life of fallen human beings on this planet. Right? Think about our small little group when we come together for prayer requests. Life is hard here. The devil is active. Sinful nature of man is drawing people away from God. The world as a system is pulling people away constantly from the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And here in particular, this poor boy has been suffering since he was a small child. And I want to make something clear here. Although sometimes... Sometimes folks need to realize, you know those people who think there's a demon everywhere, right? So if somebody has a legitimate physical problem like real seizures that are neurological, right away they're like laying hands on, we've got to cast the demon out. Now there are people like that, so everything is always boiled down to demon possession. But I don't think that's really what our temptation is in our society. In our society, it's the opposite, isn't it? We would never even think that, that, could, be, that it could be a spiritual problem. Like when someone comes to you with some issues or some, you know, they're struggling with something or they're suffering with something, we don't normally, first of all, say, hmm, I wonder if there's something spiritual going on. Right? And in this text, we're not left guessing because it clearly tells us the reason this, this kid went into seizures. And it really, in the Greek, it's like lunacy. It's the word having to do with lunar. That's what the word is. The reason he was doing this is because a demon was possessing him. And this demon was so destructive that it would literally physically throw him into the, like if there was a fire, it would throw him into seizure so that he would fall into the fire. Or it would throw him into seizure so that he could, get, he could drown near water. Think about this, Dad, day in and day out since the boy was little. And listen, there's something that we don't know from this text, but we know from Luke, it was his only son. Can you imagine the brokenheartedness of this father? Day in, day out, not knowing how to help his boy. 
taken him. You don't, you don't think he took him to doctor after doctor after doctor? Maybe even rabbi after ra- rabbi? And now, and he hears about Messiah Jesus. He hears that Jesus, folks, people after people after people, t- person after person, testimony after testimony, I got it. You just got to see him. I'm telling you, look at what he did for me. And so Jesus is up on a mountain, not available, so he goes to his disciples thinking that they're going to do something only to find they're powerless. This is a desperate man. This is a broken man. This is a man who is hurting so much because how often do we as fathers say, I don't care if I hurt. You with me? But when my child hurts, that's another story. The saddest thing in the story, possibly, is what's found in verse 16. You hear his heart cry. Jesus comes down off the mountain. He sees him. He rushes to him. He literally falls down before him. There's no time for, uh, to be formal. He's desperate. And he tells Jesus, I brought my son to your disciples. And these sad words. But they could not heal him and we're going to see in just a few moments what the real issue was with the disciples it was mainly a lack of faith but what i want you to see here is even though there was a lack of faith on the part of the disciples they were pretty much close to faithless jesus was still faithful amen let's take a look and that's what we're going to see next the faithfulness of jesus It's important for us to see something here. It's important for us to see how this lack of faith greatly pained Jesus, our Lord. It hurt Jesus to the core. Did you know that? And I'll tell you how we know that. Look at what Jesus says. This this is kind of rare for Jesus, right? You don't hear him talking like this. Look at verse 17. Oh, unbelieving and perverse generation. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. And of course, Jesus never sinned. So I would add for crying out loud, right? (laughs) Because I'm impatient. But Jesus isn't impatient. Jesus is just saying from his heart, how long? Now, although I'm sure Jesus has often been very frustrated with my lack of faith after all He's shown me and done for me, but I could say as a pastor, I can relate, though, <laughs> on the pastoral aspect of how, how Jesus was frustrated. I remember a number of years ago, I was with a good friend of mine, an older pastor, a brother in the Lord, an older brother in the Lord, Jim Midbury, and I was struggling with um, trying to lead God's people to kind of get their head out of the hole, you know, like ostriches do, and try to look out and see the harvest. And I remember I I was just, you know, as pastors do, we vent every now and then, and I just said, man, it's like these folks are acting like there's no God in heaven. And my friend friend Jim just started cracking up by the way I put that. And as I thought about that, it actually inspired me to write a song. And you guys, some of you guys might know it. It's a song I wrote called I Know. And what I wrote, the first line of it is, I know there is a God in heaven. (laughs) 
Isn't that true though? Sometimes when we fret, when we're anxious, when we give up, it's because why? A lack of faith in God. We don't trust Him. We don't, you know, we're like, uh, uh, some of you guys probably might miss this, but Caleb might get this. The, you ever see Nightcrawler? He's, in the, he's, he's one of the mutants in X-Men. And he has this really cool thing. He can, he can what do you call it, transport? He goes like, and then he appears over there, somewhere else. He immaterializes, then he materializes over there. But here's the issue. He has to see where he's going to land or he can't do it. You get that? And some of us are like that with God. We don't trust unless we can see where we're going to land. But the beauty of true saving and service faith, in other words, trusting God to do things for His glory, is that we don't have to see where we're going to land. We just have to see the person who's going to get us there. Nothing pleases our Lord as much as when we trust Him and when we live by faith. And as we see in this text, nothing grieves Him as much as when we don't trust Him. But as we look at the text, we have to say, praise Him. He's so good. He's so merciful. He's so kind. As 1 John tells us, the reason the Son of God has come is to do what? Destroy the devil's works. And so he does what his people who are up and down in faith fail to do. He completely heals this boy from the demon. And it says from that moment, Matthew points out, that boy was healed. Can you imagine how that father felt for the first time seeing his son completely in his right mind, normal, and hey, daddy, what's going on? That's our Jesus. How often... In the church, sometimes, uh, embarrassingly enough, we have to say, look, don't look at the church. (laughs) We're a mess. (laughs) Look at Jesus. That's the gospel. The gospel is not that the church saves. We know that ain't true. The gospel is that the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, became one of us, lived the life we couldn't live, died the death we deserved, and now reigns on high. He's resurrected, he reigns on high, and he transforms lost sinners in his image. Faithfulness of Jesus. Last thing I want to point out, and this is the last thing we want to camp out on just a little bit, and that is faith's possibilities. Here's the interesting question you would have to even ask yourself as you read the text. These disciples had cast out demons before. So why in this particular instance were they impotent? Why couldn't they do it? Well, we're not left guessing. Look at verses 19 to 20. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, Why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, Because you have so little faith. I tell you the truth, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. I've been doing a lot of reminiscing. Bear with me just for a few moments here. I've been doing a lot of reminiscing about my dad, obviously, for obvious reasons lately. 
I want to tell you this story. You're going to see how it connects very well with this. Um, I remember years and years ago, I knew that my dad had dropped out of high school. And I remember asking my brother or my mother, I just, now I don't remember which one, I think it might have been both in separate occasions, why did daddy do that? And the answer I got from my family members was, he dropped out of school so that he could go to work and help provide for the family. And I thought, wow, you know, I just, wow, what do you say to that? Well, a few years back, while my father still had all his faculties, I don't know why I never thought that do this before, I asked him, I said, Dad, why did you drop out of high school? His answer was a little different. This is what he said. Well, my grades weren't good and they weren't going to let me play football. So I said, forget it. And then I ain't going to school. And I remember just being like, okay, that's not the story I heard, right? And so what you have to ask yourself is, well, then do we have a contradiction? Was my mom, my mom, were my mom and my brother wrong? They can't both be true, can they? Well, think about it this way. Excuse me. Of course they both can be true. How many big life decisions do you make in your life for only one reason? Right? When we go to make a big decision in our lives, usually like we do with the whiteboard, we, we do the pros and the cons. And so there's nothing contradictory to say that there were two reasons my dad dropped out of school. Right? And one of them was because the family was hurting and needed the money and he can go get a job. And the other one was because they weren't going to let him play football. And he was like, well, then why even go to school? Because that's what he wanted to do. And they don't contradict at all. They're just two different things. Now, depending on the context of our, dis- of our discussion, I may bring the one up or the other up or both, as in this case. Why do I bring this up? Well, because you know, God in his mercy has not just given us one gospel account. He's given us four. And as a matter of fact, three of them are called the synoptics because they kind of line up and they tell most of the same stories. And so here's the issue. John Calvin, what he did, excuse me, he did not write an individual commentary on Matthew, an individual commentary on Luke, individual commentary on Mark. Instead, he wrote uh, what we would call a harmony of all three. And he would piece together the story so you would get the full story on each incident that happened in the gospel. Now, as a preacher, when you're preaching through one gospel, um, it would definitely be a lot longer uh, for me every time we get to a passage for me to tell you everything Mark says, everything Luke says. Um, and my, my method would be stick with the, mainly with the gospel you're preaching because Matthew says what he says at this particular point in his gospel, for a reason. And so I want to get the full color of Matthew's gospel. However, at other times, I may feel it's appropriate and it's needful to just bring in a little, little background information from the other gospels. And so I told you this for a reason. I tell you this because, first of all, in a general way, people constantly, critics, unbelievers constantly say, oh, look, the gospel writers are contradicting themselves. And I just showed you how that's not the case. If, if, you, if you just reasonably listen to a, a, a good reason, you're going to find out that they don't contradict, right? As in this case. And it's true here too, because and, and the specific reason I bring this up is because in Matthew's gospel, 
when the disciples take Jesus aside and say, why couldn't we cast this demon out? His answer is, because of your little faith. Right? In Mark's gospel, we have a different answer. Now you know why I brought that long story up. You're like, what does Sant's dad have to do with this? In Mark's gospel, Jesus says this, this kind comes out only by prayer. Oh. So what I want you to see is, there's nothing contradictory between the two answers. They had a lack of faith, and this particular kind can only come out through prayer. And I'm going to demonstrate that for you. Now, one, one other quick detailed thing that I think you need to know. Some manuscripts add a verse 21. If you look in your text, you'll see there's no verse 21 there. And some of the NIVs will point you to the bottom and it'll explain it. Many of the most important, they will say, major manuscripts don't have that verse. And they believe that like around 400, 500 A.D., when they were copying down the manuscripts, they, they added the verse from Mark, which says this kind only comes out with prayer because they wanted to make them jive. You follow me? And so it's not here because here's the point. We don't need to add it from Mark. It would be like having my mom, my brother, and my dad all you know, in the same room and then you put, gather the information and it doesn't contradict. You follow me? A contradiction would, would say, my, my dad would say this is white. And they said it's black. That's a contradiction. You with me? This is not a contradiction. What I'm going to show you is they actually work together very nicely. I propose to you this morning that this is the issue. What, first of all, what is prayer? When you really break it down. Prayer is a humble acknowledgement that apart from God we cannot do anything. And it's a humble acknowledgement that we are completely in reliance on, upon Him to do it. Amen? So by definition, prayer is the first expression of faith. And so in Matthew's text, he doesn't say what that means that they had little faith, right? He doesn't explain how that was expressed or not expressed. Whereas in Mark's gospel, the main point is, this particular kind, you need to get on your face in faith-filled prayer, and in prayer, trust God and beseech God to do what only He can do. You see how they connect very beautifully in this text? That's what we do when we pray. We say, God, You do it. We can't do it. Have mercy. So notice in this text, and this is a, some uh, few of us were bringing up in private. Here Jesus says this, Amen, Amen. <laughs> Truly I tell you, or I tell you the truth, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. See, they don't need great faith. The faith of a mustard seed will do. They just need a little bit of faith in a great and mighty God. You got it? A little bit of faith in a great God. What we see here so powerfully is that God's work can only be done by faith. It's not that faith helps us to do God's work. It could only be done by trusting Him to do the impossible, the miraculous, the supernatural. 
Because changing a human heart and turning someone from working, working faith and repentance in a human heart is just as much a miracle as delivering someone from a demon is. It's true. It's supernatural. And so we pray for conversions of our friends, our enemies, our relatives, our neighbors, knowing that God has to open the heart. Even when we preach the gospel, God has to open the heart and do that miracle of new life. So when we preach, when we serve, when we care, when we give, when we love, when we share, when we sacrifice, do we expect God to work? Here's the issue. The moment I stop believing and trusting God to do His work, when I preach, I preach in such a way that I believe God is working in your hearts. That God, through miraculously, miraculously through His gospel, through His word, is transforming your hearts into the image of Jesus. I believe that. The moment I stop believe that, believing that, I need to stay in bed on Sunday. You understand? I do this by faith. Think about it. By speaking words. Right? God is doing miracles and changing your lives. How do I do this? I do it because God says that's what He does and I believe Him and I trust that that's what He's doing. I use preaching just as an example because that's what I'm doing right now. But it's true with when you're serving the poor. When you're reaching into a broken family to try to bring healing and life and encouragement. Listen. This is what I'm getting at. Some of us who have been walking with the Lord for a number of years, there's a big danger. And that's the danger of skepticism. It's the danger of being cynical. Oh, here comes somebody asking for what, you know, I've seen this happen. They, 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 all they want is this, that, and the other thing. They're not really going to listen to what I have to tell them. And so what? We don't even try. You hear me? And that's why later we're going to see in Matthew's Gospel, not too long from now, where, he, where Jesus puts a child in front of him. He says, unless you be like this, you're not going to see the kingdom. Brothers and sisters, where is our faith? This is the time it's needed most. We might be rejected nine times out of ten. But do we still keep going? Do we believe? Listen, think about it this way. If one out of ten, God does a miraculous work, it was all worth it. And I just use those, those aren't the exact odds. It could be one out of hundred. I don't know. You get my point. Because when this text has been abused, of course, nothing will be impossible to you and people take it out of context and think that they could do all kinds of crazy, zooey things, you know. Um, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about kingdom work because obviously the context is a poor boy that's dominated by Satan. The context isn't, I really wanted the newest version of the Mercedes in red, color red. So please, let's not even get into that foolishness. It's talking about doing God's work further in His kingdom. Listen to what Jesus is saying. He's using hyperbole here. Of course He is. He's saying if you say to this mountain move, what's He talking about? We often refer to things that get in our way when we're doing God's work as what? Mountains. 
right? Obstacles. And Jesus is saying, if you have the faith of a mustard seed in me and you say to that mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, it will be done for you. Listen, there is no obstacle to doing God's will that can stand against faith in Jesus. What has Matthew been doing? I'm almost coming to a close here, but what has Matthew been doing up to this point in his gospel and what he will continue to do to the end of the book? He's setting forth for our faith the person, the life, and the work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Is he not? That we might embrace him by faith from the heart That's why Jesus was so exasperated in this passage. He's basically saying, this is what he's saying, really, guys? In the face of all that you've seen, the face of all you've experienced in me, you still don't have faith? Think about this. The hungry have been miraculously fed. Demons have been cast out left and right. The good news have been preached powerfully to those the poor, to those who in society are neglected and cast out. The humble, the weak, the broken, those society mocks, they have been included into the kingdom and brought in. Storms, physical storms have been stilled by my my mere word. And still? How long am I going to have to deal with this? See, it's not that our faith in Christ will always accomplish everything we think God should do or would do, but rather it's the trust and belief that keeps us engaging in the work of the kingdom, knowing sometimes we will witness Him moving mountains for His own glory, and other times we will will note that He will say to us, this is not my will at this time, but my grace is sufficient for you. Some of us have heard that, that answer, amen? The Apostle Paul three times begged God to remove that messenger of Satan, that thorn in the flesh on his side. Three times he begged God, and God's answer was, and, and, and Paul had a lot of faith in Jesus, and his answer was, my grace is sufficient. For my power is manifest and made clear in weakness, your weakness. The challenge here is to keep on keeping on for Jesus and his gospel's sake in the ebbs and the flows of life, in the mess of real everyday life. Keep praying, keep believing, keep serving, keep trusting him to work in people's lives, to bring hope, to bring healing, and even to bring salvation, the ultimate goal. As we close this morning, this is where Jesus closes, as it were, in a sense. Verses 22 to 23. When they came together in Galilee, he said to them, The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him. And on the third day he will be raised to life. And the disciples were filled with grief. Even as powerful a passage as this, with faith, nothing will be impossible for you. We are reminded that it is still in the context 
of the way of the cross. It is still in the context of God in weakness bringing about salvation. His own through the cross where He sacrificed for you and for me and through ours as we go in and of ourselves completely inadequate trusting in His, his adequacy to do the impossible for the, His glory, the glory of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, these are strong words and we believe them. Sometimes we, we feel, I, I feel personally, I don't believe them strongly enough and I help thou my unbelief, but I do believe them, Lord. You know I do. And we do. Father, we trust that you brought us here together at this place, at this particular time in history for a reason. And that you have a deep desire to bring healing, to bring restoration, to bring reconciliation, to bring redemption and salvation to bear on the broken lives of men, women, and children and families and communities here in Atlantic City. Father, forgive us for our lack of faith and our laziness. And we pray that you would use us, even now, in the midst of uncertainty, to bring the certainty of your good news to our communities. We pray it, Lord, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. This Sunday sermon was preached by the Reverend Dr. Santo Garofolo. New City's Sunday sermon is recorded live on location at New City Fellowship of Atlantic City. If you're in the Atlantic City area, stop by. Our address is 215 North Sovereign Avenue, Atlantic City, New Jersey. Visit us online at newcityac.org. That's www.newcityac.org. Oh God is written and performed by the Reverend Dr. Santo Garofolo. Join us next week for a brand new New Cities Sunday Sermon.